Paul's going to kind of take a little bit of a shift of direction in his letter now because he's made everything sound so awesome. Now he's got to talk a little bit about the pain that comes with the gain. (laughs) He's got to kind of give a bit of a picture of how this works out and how it needs to manifest in our lives, how it needs to take root in our lives. And he's going to give us a picture and kind of a, a couple of key things to grow an ability to grow in Christ. There was a famous TED Talk that came out a number of years ago by a woman by the name of Angela Duckworth. Now, Angela Duckworth was a pretty successful financial analyst, and she decided that she was going to leave her job move to the New York City, um, an urban area of New York City, and move into a school system in that urban area and teach seventh grade math. And people are like, what are you doing? Like, you're super successful down here. Why would you go here? And she wanted to serve her community. So she did that, and she went with the complexities and the difficultness of teaching some underprivileged kids math, but then also having some kids in her class that were privileged. Well, what she found was that the kids that seemed to be really smart weren't really doing very well. But the kids that seemed to not be very smart were actually excelling. And she began to wonder, why and what is it that makes a human being successful at what they do? Is it just their upbringing or their bank account? Is it their race or their strength, their ability to learn? Because she knew that in the educational system, the only way to judge if someone was smart was with this thing called an IQ. But she saw people with high IQs not able to accomplish some easy problems. So that so struck her, she decided she'd become a psychologist. She got a doctorate there and began researching humans and what made humans successful. She studied West Point grads, and she studied successful businessmen and businesswomen, and she, she studied several people over several years. At the end of all of her studying, she came to this conclusion. She realized what made humans successful was not their financial status. It wasn't their social status. It wasn't their ethnicity. It wasn't their good looks. It wasn't their physical strength or physical weakness. What she found made successful people successful was this thing called grit. That when humans dug deep and had grit, no matter what the opposition, no matter what the challenge, she found those humans, regardless of their financial ability or their status socially or even their ethnicity, those humans found success because deep inside, they had grown a sense of grit. She defined grit as this. Grit is about having what some some researchers call an ultimate concern, a goal you care about so much that it organizes and gives meaning to almost everything you do. And grit is holding steadfast to that goal even when you fall down. Now, it's fascinating as she went on after a TED Talk to write books and consult people. And the question that everyone asks her then is, how do I get more grit? In which she answers, I don't know. (laughs) Because if we truly are honest, if we look deep down within ourselves, some of us might not find grit. We might find some despair. Some of us might not find the things that we hoped we found. We found inside of ourselves weakness or an inability to commit. Gosh, We live in an age where most millennials have a difficult time pursuing or being passionate about anything longer than 48 48 hours. (laughs) We live in a time of gratification where things need to happen now. Everything comes to us fast, quickly. If it doesn't come fast, something's broken. I don't want it. But anyone that's been around for a long period of time will say, no, grit comes as you continue on 
the path of life with the goal, regardless of ups and downs. I think that as Christians, we have the greatest chance to have a lot of grit because we worship one of the most grittiest people, and that's Jesus. (laughs) Jesus knew the goal he had set out for. He met hardship. He had moments where he wanted to throw in the towel, where he asked his father to take this cup from him. But Jesus committed to the goal. He knew what he was trying to do, and everything around him stuck to that. When we worship Jesus, when we make Jesus the center of our life, I believe worshiping Jesus gives us the capacity to grow in grit. Why? Because we find our grit in him. And he is in us. And so we don't look at ourselves to find grit in and of myself. I look inside myself to find Christ in me, growing in me, teaching me to be grittier. Now Paul's going to get into this because Paul is going to kind of lay out for this new church that they need to grow in their grit, that they need to grow in their strength, that they need to understand that this idea of being made new takes strength, takes the ability to commit. Not strength in the sense of muscle strength, but strength in believing that God will give you everything you need to get through that situation. Paul, I believe, is going to kind of highlight three things that if done or if walked out will grow grit in the believer in Colossae. I believe there are three things that if we can shift our perspective on now, 2,000 years later, it will begin to grow grit within each one of us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Colossians, starting in chapter 1, verse 24. And as you're turning there, let's just pray. Father, I just ask that as we look at these words written by Paul, but inspired by you, that the one that inspired them would be the one that now burns them in our hearts. That Spirit of God, you would just illuminate these words to us this morning, that we would grow in Christ. Not grow in our own strength, but grow in the strength of Christ within us. That that's what we would see as our hope. And that you, Christ, want to make all things new in our life. So we surrender ourselves, we surrender our thoughts, and we open our hearts and minds and souls to you this morning to guide us and to teach us. In your name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. This is Paul talking to the church of Colossae. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Now we kind of have to pause right there because Paul brings up this idea of suffering. Now for some of us, I think we met Christ at a point of suffering. And many of us maybe met Christ because we came to a point in our life where we were tired of ourselves. We had kind of ran to the end of our strength and our abilities. We cried out for hope and there was someone there or some revelation where Christ spoke to us or through someone or through reading his word and we got a hold of Christ and found hope in that moment. But for many of us, we've made that hope only about what happens at the end of this life. For many of us, we've made that hope about then, and we've just kind of expected everything to be peachy keeny, happy-go-lucky. Everything was going to be super smooth because now that I had Jesus in my life, everything should be good. But then the moment we hit adversity, then we start doing what? We put God on trial. Because surely it's his fault that I'm going through this because everything's supposed to be great. Everything's supposed to be lovely. Everything's supposed to be smelling like flowers. Why am I going through suffering even though I've given my life to Christ. 
Many of us fall into a place in the midst of suffering where we're the victim. And suffering's painful, don't get me wrong. All of us have experienced some form of suffering or not. Some of you have experienced, experienced deep forms of suffering. Some of you maybe are in this moment experiencing suffering. But what Jesus came to do is to not remove that suffering from your life, but remove the power of that suffering over your life. That you wouldn't have to be the victim of that suffering. You could be the victor in that suffering. That now because you had a greater hope for another age, another goal to focus on, something beyond this world, that that perspective would change your perspective on your current suffering. And that's what Paul's doing here. And Paul has gone through great suffering. In fact, Paul kind of got a vision of Jesus, not kind of, he got a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. In that vision, Jesus came to him and said, what? Why are you persecuting me? Which I think is such a great picture of our Lord, that he would identify with the persecuted believers so much that he would say, why? He didn't say, why are you persecuting them? He said, why are you persecuting me? That Christ identifies with your pain. He acknowledges your pain. And then he looks at Paul and says, now you're going to go on and work with me and preach this message, but now you're going to share in my sufferings as well. And Paul, almost 10 years later, then begins to see that as he steps into his ministry. In fact, Paul's very first missionary journey, he goes through some cities that it talks about in the book of Galatians in the area of South Galatia. And as he goes to those cities, he gets um, met with some positive reaction, but then he gets some mixed feelings with some of the Gentiles. In fact, the Gentiles thought that Paul might have been representing their gods. And Paul and Barnabas representing, they thought in their mind, Zermes, sorry, Zeus and Hermaeus. This is talked about in Acts chapter 13, that they thought there was gods. And as soon as they got disappointed and got together Jews, they ended up stoning Paul. Galatians tells us that when the church in Galatia took Paul in after his stoning, that they said to him that we wanted to give you our own eyes, meaning that his head was so crushed with rocks, it would have been swollen and puffy, he wouldn't have been able to see. Because when someone's stoned, they're stoned with the intent of being killed. (laughs) Paul actually goes on, and I mentioned this last week, that he was flogged three times by the Jews. Actually, he was flogged five times. I got my numbers mixed up. And he was hit by rods three times. Paul was shipwrecked. One time, even shipwrecked out to sea for more than 24 hours. Paul dealt with suffering. In fact, Paul understood that when he signed up to follow Christ, he knew that he would suffer. Why? Because that was the model set for him. That if Christ suffered, why wouldn't Paul suffer? But what enabled Christ to suffer and continue on? It was his grit, knowing the long-term goal of what was happening. And Paul, in the same way, understood that. Now, Paul says something very fascinating here, that he says, I am glad when I suffer. I'm like, okay, did you get that right, bro? (laughs) Now, I'm going to do this a couple times as we go through this text. I want to look at some of the Greek language, because our English language isn't as complex as Greek, and many times you have to use many English words to explain one Greek word to get the depth of it. Right here, Paul says, I am glad. And when we look at that in the English sense, we think, oh, he's glad. Like, I will be glad when L.A. wins today. We think of it that kind of like, it's a simple just, I need to be happy. Like, Paul's just like, oh, I'm happy. I'm glad I'm suffering. But actually, the Greek connotation isn't that at all. This word that's used in the Greek is actually tied to the same root word that comes from the word grace. Paul's actually trying to express, not that he's just glad, but that actually he experiences the hope and the grace of Jesus in his suffering. And because of that, he rejoices. Because of that, 
he is glad. That the suffering we're in, Christ knows it's difficult difficult to get through. Your immediate emotion is not going to be positive. You're not just going to be glad. But in Christ, we can experience a supernatural grace to get through our suffering now. That's what Paul's saying. That he can rejoice, he can sing praises to God because God gives him a grace, an ability to endure through that suffering, to commit to the goal that he has, get through the suffering, grow in his grit, not in his own human strength, but in the supernatural strength of Christ inside of him. That we can grow in our grit, in our suffering, because Christ removed the suffering from us, and now our suffering can become a slave to us, and we can learn in our suffering and grow in Christ. We can grow in grit in our suffering. We don't have to be victims of our suffering. We get now to be victors to our suffering because of Christ in us. Paul continues on in verse 25. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. So we will tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I need to make a couple comments here. First, we see this idea of being perfect. Again, Greek word, it's better translated as mature. None of us will be perfect, though we're seen as perfect through putting on Christ. We know that we'll never attain perfection, but we can grow in our maturity. Secondly, here is this idea of this secret. Christ isn't saying that there's some weird secret that no one knows. I mean, Paul's not saying that there's some weird secret that no one knows about. See, Paul didn't convert to a new faith when he had his Damascus Road experience. That's a lot of times we call it Saul's conversion. But really, it wasn't a conversion. Paul didn't move from Judaism to Buddhism. Paul, better, kind of better word would be, had a revelation of what he already knew. See, Paul was a devout Jew. Paul studied the Torah. Paul was a Pharisee. He was concerned about the afterlife and who the Messiah eventually would be. Paul would have researched those scriptures to discover who the Messiah was. Was he coming? If someone claimed to be him, it was Paul and the Pharisees that decided if that Messiah was true or not. That's why Jesus came against the Pharisees all the time. Paul was so devout and so zealous about his faith, he went as far to try to persecute Christians because he felt they were following the false Messiah. When he has his Damascus Road experience, he gets a revelation. His eyes open and he realizes that the thread of the Messiah through Scripture was, in fact, Jesus. It was as if Paul almost got a key that opened the door to fully grasp everything he had been studying for years and years. It was like the final block in the wall. It was just this this turning idea moment where he realized and saw everything in a brand new light. So when he uses the term secret here, he doesn't mean something that's told that no one will hear about. He uses this idea that it's something that's told and maybe even in plain sight, but as the Spirit of God revealed it to you yet. Do you believe that the Spirit of God wants to reveal to every one of our hearts that Christ is the true King? 
that he is the one that wants to make us new. That maybe everyone will talk about Jesus, but it's the Spirit of God that reveals, us, reveals it to us that he actually is God and wanting to be Lord of our lives. So Paul, so motivated by this, despite his suffering, does what? He goes on to proclaim that message. He goes on to carry that story to synagogues and then also the Gentiles, finding that even God and his spirit is revealing it to Gentiles as well. You and me, or maybe some of you that are Jewish, you're not in that category, but if you aren't Jewish, we're all in this Gentile category. That Christ didn't just come for the Jews, though his story came through the Jews, but it was for the entire world, that all of us now can attain this understanding of Christ dwelling within us. And Paul proclaims that. Now, I'm kind of on the tail end of the millennial generation, and the millennial generation had a real desire to deconstruct the church and everything that the church stood for. Part of that was because people were tired about the church saying things, but not actually doing things. So in my generation, those younger than me, we kind of said, hey, we're going to live our faith in action. We're not just going to intend to do good things. We're going to do them. We're not going to talk about Jesus. We're just going to live Jesus. And I spent many years training and equipping people to do that. But there's one thing I've learned. That if we're going to be generous for people out of the kingdom of God, if we're going to be proclaiming the message of Jesus through our actions, there are going to be moments where we have to say with our lips why we're doing it. (laughs) There was a couple that my family kind of got close to in Hawaii. They became part of our family. Uh, They weren't Christians. They had no concept of Christianity. So they lived all the behaviors as one who never had anyone telling them morals or how to do things and you know, that was awkward for some of our dinners together, but they were part of our family. And one uh, trip, my family and I were going to Asia, and I had a phone that I traveled with in Asia. It was an unlocked iPhone, and I had that phone placed in my backpack to go to Asia. We flew to Asia. We got there. I opened my backpack. It wasn't there. Disappointedly, I had to get a different phone in that country, and I'd just been finished speaking, and I was on Facebook, and I noticed on Facebook this couple posted a need for a phone because they had lost their phone and their business, um, they needed a phone to do their business. And I thought, oh my gosh, here's a great opportunity to demonstrate the kingdom by being generous with something as expensive as an iPhone. So I called my friends that were um, house-sitting for me. I said, hey, can you look around my house and see if there's a phone laying around anywhere? And sure enough, my friend called me back and said, yeah, we found it in your son's toy chest. (laughs) My brilliant son took the phone out of my backpack and placed it in his toy chest just before our leaving to the airport. (laughs) But I thought, man, that's perfect. I was disappointed, but actually this is a setup. God is setting this up. So I had them grab that phone. I contacted my friend and said, hey, I have an extra phone for you, in which they replied, oh, why would you do that? Because if any of you know, if you try to give something to someone who doesn't come from a Christian worldview, the initial response is, what do you want from me? (laughs) So I said, no, no, it's for you. I want you to have it. We just want to bless you. And sure enough, they took it. They were super excited. They couldn't believe that we'd be so generous to them. A couple days went by and I kind of felt sick to my stomach because I realized that I had given to them out of the generosity of my heart, but ultimately it wasn't my generosity I was trying to get credit for. It was God's generosity that I wanted to get credit for. But I never proclaimed that message with my lips. So about a couple weeks later, I crafted a message and contacted them and said, hey, listen, this might sound awkward and I know we've never talked about this before, but you need to know something. That phone didn't come from me. See, I believe it was a setup that God put this thing together, that that phone was for you. And actually, that phone came from him. 
They thanked me, and after several months of being in a relationship, they actually eventually gave their lives to Christ. And I began to realize that we can be generous in our action, but Paul's saying, but yeah, but you also need to proclaim with your lips the message. That we might need to explain that message, and we can use clever terminology and make it relevant in doing so, but we will always need to proclaim it. That if we want to grow in our grit, we need to become victors in our suffering and proclaimers with our lips. Because when we speak the message of Jesus, it reminds us of what we're meant to be living. It's almost like hearing ourselves talk, we're reminding our minds and our hearts that we should be growing in that message as well. Paul closes in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, kind of bringing this together. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Now in the beginning of this section of scripture, he uses this term, agonize. Now I think of agonize, I think of really boring movies I've had to sit through. I think of lots of dirty diapers or when my, kid, my kids were young and they had blowouts on my clothes and I had to figure that out the rest of the day. Like, that's when I think of the term agonize. <laughs> it's kind of a shallow term when I read it in the English language, but actually when you read it in Greek, it's much more deep than that. In fact, a better term for agonize in English would probably be, be the word contend. And actually, it's a kind of contending. The connotation is the setting of the kind of contending that happens when two men are in a fight that's a sport. That there's an agonizing of prep for battle, of straining of muscles, of sweat of the brow, and that in that contending, we have a goal we're contending for, something we're trying to get strength for, something we're moving for. And Paul's saying that to grow in grit, he's saying he's had to contend for this church. Now, what is he contending for? He's contending for love. See, this church was multi-ethnic. He was bringing together two groups of people that never socialized, Jews and all the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, in Christ, they were having to come together and form a community. Different worldviews, different upbringings, huge prejudices against each other for decades, in fact, centuries. Yet in, this, in Christ now, they were meant to come together. And Paul knew that the, their coming together was only going to happen by him contending for their bonds of love to be strong. That's the case, really, with any relationship, isn't it? That we would contend for the bonds to be love, the bonds to be strong for our love of our spouses, of our friends, of our family members. That may be why church is becoming an aversion to people today. It's not because people don't like God. It's honestly because they don't want to have to contend for the community. That we don't want to have to be a part of church because it's going to take work because I have to find a way to get along with people that don't look like the people I want to spend time with. But Paul's saying that if you want to grow in grit, you contend for that community. You contend for that church. That capital B church would be a place where people come and contend for strong bonds of love. Because we know that in our strong bonds of love, that's going to build grit within us. It might not come today. It might not come tomorrow. It might not come in a month. It might not come in 10 years. But we have the hope that in our contending for love in our community, 
it will develop grit in us and it will begin to happen. Paul wants us to grow in our grit. He wants us to grow in our grit because when we grow in our grit, we will be made new. That as we become victors in our suffering, as we become proclaimers with our words, and as we become contenders for love, grit will grow within us and we will be made new.